joining New Life Church. I hope that woke you guys up a little bit. I always feel like we have a bit of an unfair advantage on the worship team because we've been here since eight. And by the time worship starts, we're like, we're feeling it. You know, we're into it. Whereas you guys all just rolled in with your coffee, you slept in. Although Laura did sleep in this morning. I will rat her out. So she was a little late for practice. If anybody wants to talk to her about that. <laughs> so... I just want to just really encourage you guys to just open up your hands and and just try to get into that space of worship. Kuhn is preaching this morning. We're here to glorify God. Um, Just make much of Jesus, not just what Jesus can do for us and what he can give to us, but just who he is, being in love with him, himself, uh, not the things he does for us even, just just the man, right? Um, So I just just um, yeah encourage you guys. To, uh, to just really lift up God's name this morning in worship. And I just love, I love when New Life gathers to worship. You guys feel like family, and I'm happy you're all here. And yeah, let's worship God this morning. Oh, 
think about the times where you've stood on other things. And was it sinking sand? Or is it sinking sand? Just ask God to convict you in this moment if you are standing on something that isn't of God. And we're just going to sing that through two more times. time of worship by taking an offering. Uh, our offering today is for Bethesda, which is a Christian organization that seeks to support and empower people with disabilities and their families, experiencing the joys and challenges of life together. So during this next song, we invite you to give your offering as an act of worship. The ways to give are up on the screen here. You can do that with your phone or later today from your computer or in the offering boxes up at the front of the church here. Let's just continue in our worship and praise as we sing an offering of worship.
are so good. And suffering, God, when things are good, you are good. When things are bad, you are good. We just lift up your name and praise this morning and thank you that we're here. We thank you that we're breathing, we're alive, and we're here to worship you another day. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, and welcome to New Life Church. My name is Sam Postma, this is my husband Tyler, and we are your hosts this morning. We want to extend a special welcome to guests, in person or online. If you are new here and you're in person, there's connect cards in the seat in front of you that you're welcome to fill out. And if you're online, please drop a comment sharing where you're watching and who you're watching with. So we have two announcements this morning. The first one is just a reminder about the New Life prayer wall on the New Life app. Um, so two parts. We just ask that you would review that regularly so you can see the prayer requests that we post um, and commit to praying for those. Uh, and the other part is we ask that you would, if you had prayer requests, you, you um, can post on the app there. Uh, you can do it anonymously if you like. Um, if you don't have the New Life app, you can find it on the App Store or on Google Play. Just make sure you include New Life Church Abbotsford when you search for it, because there's lots of New Life Churches with apps. Seniors, you have your fellowship after the service today. You are invited for soup, buns, dessert, fellowship, fun, and singing. Anyone is invited to join, especially if you're over 60, and we'll be meeting in the room upstairs, room 303. Okay, and this is going to be um, our fellowship time. So this has two purposes. The first one is to greet the people around you with the peace of Christ. Uh, the second one is for kids to be dismissed. So parents, you can take your kids age three to five or grades one to five through the door over here. Um, if you're new or a guest and you don't know where to bring your kids or don't know where to bring them downstairs, anybody above about this tall should be able to help you. Um, yeah, so we're going to start our fellowship time. Uh, if you don't know what to talk about with the people around you, you can ask them how many wise men that they think really came to visit baby Jesus.
Good morning. I uh, haven't said Happy New Year to all of you, so Happy New Year. It's good to be together again, beginning of 2023. Uh, December 25th, Christmas Day, seems like it was a long time ago already, doesn't it? Yeah, it was last year. That's right, exactly. It really was a long time ago. Uh, but for those who follow um, the Christian calendar a little more closely um, and you pay attention to the 12 days of Christmas, the 12th day of Christmas was actually just this past Friday, which was Epiphany, the day that we remember the wise men traveled from the east to uh, worship Jesus in Bethlehem. And so that's going to be our focus this morning. Um, but before we open scripture, I'd like to just uh, spend some time in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, as we engage Matthew's gospel, Lord, we ask for your spirit just to speak to us. Find us, Lord, in the ways that you speak to us and you move our hearts and move our spirits. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for a new year for 2023. Lord, without the pressure of goals and uh, resolutions, Lord, would you just confirm in some small way uh, the things that you would have us pay attention to as we step into a new year. Thank you, Lord, for all the opportunities ahead in this wonderful year. Thank you, Lord, for this community, which is a blessing from you. I pray, Lord, that you would just illuminate these words this morning. In your name we pray. And everybody together said, amen. Amen. So, um, I have a couple notes that I made on my sermon outline to stay put. So, if you've heard me preach before, you know that I wander the stage, but since we've started recording the services, it's a real nightmare for the people operating the cameras if I move around the stage. So, I think three or four times on my sermon notes, I said, stay put. So, I probably won't do that very well this morning, but I will try. All right. Um, this morning I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2, but I think only the words, um, the text from verses 1 to 12 are on the screen. So if you do have a Bible, I'm actually going to push a little further into it because I will uh, inference uh, past uh, verse 12 uh, this morning as well. So in fact, I'm going to be jumping all over the book of Matthew. So if you do have your Bibles or access to a Bible on your phone, you may want to also follow along uh, as well. Um, <clears throat> And you can do that as long as you're actually reading the Bible and not checking out what you missed this morning on Instagram. All right. The visit of the Magi. See, I already started wondering. <clears throat> After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was distressed, disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be 
the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I'm going to carry on here. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in in its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had heard from, learned, learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Go and take this child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are now dead. He got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. The wise men followed the star, the star that guided them to Bethlehem. God initiated this journey. It was his light that drew them to Bethlehem. There's a significant amount of mystery or the unknown about many of the factors in the story. We were just inspired to think about one of them during the break. When exactly did this take place? Was Jesus one, two, or three years of age? What did the star look like? What is a, was it a, a, an unusual constellation? Was it a single star? Some think maybe it was an angel or the light of the Lord. Where did these wise men come from? The east is vague. It's pretty general. It could be in the area that we know today as Iran or Iraq, Turkey, India. Were they actually kings? How many wise men were there? That's the question we just thought of. There were three gifts, but it's pretty certain that it would have been more than three men because three men carrying three gifts would have made for a perfect robbery roadside as they journeyed for what historians or scholars believe would have been a two to three month journey. One thing we know is that they journeyed towards Jesus. That was their motivation, journeying towards a king. This morning using the Magi narrative and stepping into other 
parts of the book of Matthew, I want us to just reflect on some of the realities of journeying, to, journeying towards Jesus. Journeying towards Jesus can be messy. The Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew, who was an ex-tax collector. His life before his encounter with Jesus Christ was messy. He was not loved by the Jewish people, by his neighbors, by his community for what he did. Jesus arrives in the perfect cultural storm. The social environment was chaotic. Maybe best described as volatile. And that's really important. Because sometimes I think when we think of Jesus arriving on this earth, we think that everything, like as soon as Jesus arrived, everything was like better. And, and that is true in, in many ways. But when we look at culture and the social structures of that time, things were really difficult. There was nationalistic animosity between the Romans and the Jews. Now, I can just say that, but we really have no idea of what kind of tension that meant day to day to the people of Israel, to the people of Judea, in the ways that they engaged one another in the marketplace in the day to day. The Jews were frustrated that the king of the Jews, Herod, was not actually fully blood Jewish. Herod was made king by the Roman government. Yet, on the other hand, Herod seemed to work hard to keep the Jews on his side. He allowed temple worship and the rituals of the Jewish custom. Yet at the same time, he entertains his Roman friends in an area called Samaria, where he can live how he wants out of the watchful eye of the religious Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. The key being keeping that far away from Jerusalem. It was literally a context of like a Vegas-style context. What happens in Samaria stays in Samaria. You know what I mean? To top it all off, Greco-Roman culture, or the, the culture of Greece and Rome, kind of began to uh, envelop the people of Palestine. With the building of Caesarea Maritina, which is a massive Roman port on the Israeli coast, the people of Israel, the Jews, were introduced to the diversions of those cultures, Greece and Rome. Art, sport, something that they were trying to avoid being pulled into. Egypt and its worship of the sun gods and of, of animals is depicted in the artwork and much of the Roman architecture of the day. Greek philosophy is becoming attractive around the world and including in Palestine. Some beginning to believe that it's, it, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you believe the right way about things. <clears throat> we struggle with that today. Paul talks about that in many of his letters to the early church. Folks, the world was a mess that first Christmas. You can bet that there were people reflecting and yearning for the good old days. The days before Herod. Before Roman occupation, before cultural influences like art, sport, secularism, paganism, Hellenism. Ah, the simpler days, the better days. Hmm. Just imagine that. Just close your eyes and just think about what the simpler, better days for you were. We can all do this, right? The days before, don't say kids. They won't like that. Don't say that. But just think about what the the better the simpler days were like for you. Wake up! 
Really? Were they simpler and better days? I don't know. I don't think so for the Jewish people. The days before Herod and Rome, were they that much simpler? If I go back to the text, those were the days that they pursued the idols of other nations. They had periods where they weren't occupied or they weren't in captivity by other nations, but those were difficult years. I don't know if there are simpler, better days. I think that's exactly why the Christ child arrives. What happens here is this this child, Jesus, ushers in something brand new into the world, a new way of looking at the world. A countercultural perspective that the world needs. That's what these wise men were journeying toward. The Christ child is God's response to the mess. Because just think about some of the things that Matthew records Jesus saying in his gospel. Think about what that would have meant to Galileans. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The, the, the meek? Rome crushes the meek. This is strange. Matthew chapter 5, turn the other cheek. What do you mean, turn the other cheek? Rome will just slap that cheek too. Matthew chapter 6, store up treasure in heaven. The thought would have immediately come to, well, what do I do to survive and live on the earth? Of course, Jesus follows that up with, I will take care of you. Whoever will lose his life for me will save it. Matthew chapter 16. So in order to flourish in human life, I have to give my life up. The last will be first, and the first will be last. Herod is first. He's living a high and mighty life. When when will he be last, and when will I be first? A question a number of the disciples wondered as well. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, Matthew chapter 22. But why? What has he given us? He takes. The greatest among you will be your servant, Matthew 23. And then the Galilean social structure, the servant was not high up on the list, social, with social status. The people in the midst of a cultural conflict would have been shocked. The teachings of Jesus garnered a lot of attention. The people journeyed towards Jesus in droves. Why? Because he was ushering in a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of understanding the kingdom of God. But not everyone responded positively. Some pushed back. Typically the religious leaders. At the end of Jesus' ministry, they place Jesus before Pilate. He's no longer a child. He's 33 years of age. And he makes himself vulnerable by facing death in order to defeat death the upside-down nature of the gospel. In the cultural chaos, he resets the the compass of the kingdom. You see, Rome was developing this kingdom understanding, and Jesus brings about a new understanding of a kingdom and points to himself as kingdom come, Christ at the center of all of it. 
through the death and the resurrection of Christ, the kingdom of God now invades politics, art, sport, education, philosophy, theology, relationships, every square inch of God's domain. The story of redemption bursts into every arena of life because of this little child. You see, culture now no longer serves only the purposes of Rome and Athens, Alexandria, or Hollywood. Christ-focused living shines bright in every aspect of human culture. And as we live that out in all the spheres of our life, we get to declare the glory of this countercultural kingdom. We get to live that out in our day-to-day. This Christ child arrives in the midst of cultural chaos and affects the greatest cultural change the world has ever known. And I think today we, for- we forget that very quickly. If you look at Christianity and its whole history, yes, there were dark, deeply regrettable moments. And I need you to hear me very carefully here. Periods of Christian history that I wish we're never part of our history. Slavery, the effects of colonization that we're still living with, even in our country today. But today, we do struggle with a recency bias that's blinding us. Yes, those were difficult, and I wish they weren't part of our culture and part of our history. But the reality is that the birth of this Christ child that the Magi journeyed toward began the greatest positive cultural change the world has ever known. And as Christians, we have to live in that tension. And it's so hard. And it does, unfortunately, lead many people to believe they have to tear down all of the foundations of Christianity to pursue deconstructing their faith. And there are those here that maybe are in that place. And that's hard. But I want you to think, why would these wise men make that journey from the east? What is it in this Christ child that would affect the greatest positive cultural change the world has ever known? We're journeying towards Jesus in a broken world is a guarantee that there's a mess around us, or just let's just be completely honest, on us. What is that for you this morning? What's that mud hole that you just can't sneak around because you're right up at it, or you're right in it? I use that example because uh, I keep thinking about a family walking excursion that we went on in the fall of 2021. That was the wet fall. You remember? Water tables rising. Okay, let's not think about it too long. It's depressing. But uh, our family went for a walk after church one Sunday. We went to, um, I think it's called Elwood Park on the west side of Abbotsford. The water table was high. We went for a walk anyways. We, We had good footwear on, like decent walking kind of winter footwear, but we weren't wearing like gum boots or rubber farm boots. We were just going for a walk because it's a paved path. But the water had come over the path, and um, 
there's no real easy way to kind of skirt around this, this mud hole because it was right up against the embankment. And so some of the, you know, in hindsight, you say smarter family members said, why don't we just go back and just go back the way we came? I was like, ah, we already saw that. Let's go up ahead. Let's live the adventure. <laughs> Dad, oh boy. Um, so we, I decided, let's just go ahead. So I took the, uh, the lead, and it's right up against the side of the embankment, and so you're kind of walking like this a little bit, and there was a last little section that you couldn't walk along the edge of the water anymore because you'd be in the water. So I came up with this idea of, like, if I just jumped that gap, I could go on the other side, and I could put, like, logs or, or rocks into the remaining water, and they can bounce across those and get out. We're just trying to be helpful. Good dad. So I, I make that jump, and I come short by about two or three feet. And when you jump with that kind of like enthusiasm into the water, you don't get a little splash. It's like right up, right past my knees. And there I stood, thinking to myself, it maybe would have been a good idea to go back around that way. And here in 2023, sometimes we're in a mess because we didn't make the right choice. But some of us in 2023, we're standing in a mud hole that wasn't our doing. Think of how many people are struggling with finances, not because of misspending, but because of inflation. And now it's causing anxiousness and frustration. It's hard. We're all affected by sin and brokenness. We're in the mud hole or near the mud hole. And for us at the top of 2023, can I invite us to read through the Gospels soon and see how Jesus might be calling us to view and respond to the mess around us right now. As we see in the book of Matthew, he has ushered in a new kingdom, and that kingdom vision is key to how we handle the mess that we find ourselves in. Because it requires a completely different way of thinking that our culture doesn't really value. Secondly, journeying, journeying towards Jesus, we come face to face with oppression. Herod, was, um, Herod the Great was an oppressor and an absolute tyrant. And a tyrant is a, is a ruler who exercises absolute power oppressively or brutally. So Herod was the big bully of the day. His reign was a constant dance of manipulation, fear, and abuse. Caesar Augustus even said of Herod, it's better to be a dog in Herod's court than a male in his family, because Herod killed every male in his court that was a threat to his crown. As he got older and older, he became more and more ruthless and more and more freaked out. He killed sons, a brother-in-law, father-in-law, even his wife. Just Just to kind of get you into his frame of mind, historians believe that this is how he killed his, um, his brother-in-law. Anybody here ever been to a pool party? Just raise your hand if you've been to a pool party before. Yeah, pool parties are fun. Um, in my days of youth ministry, this is some horse play, you know, some, some uh, shoving around in the pool, just in good fun. It's great, you know, you get a friend sitting on your shoulders and another friend gets another friend to sit on their shoulders and you kind of wade around the pool, try and tossle each other off. Just think about that as I tell you the rest of this. So Herod invites his brother-in-law to a pool party in Samaria, right? Because what happens in Samaria 
stays in Samaria, right? So he calls his brother-in-law and says, hey, come and hang out with us, pool party, come join us. And he tells his friends to engage his brother-in-law in horseplay, some tomfoolery in the pool, but to such a degree that he doesn't survive. So it looks like an accident, and he can come out saying, oh, that's just unfortunate. What a way to die. The guy was ruthless. Herod the Great was also known as Herod the Despicable. And Matthew faces these wise men off with this bully. And at once, it, this once more reveals that God is in complete control in the midst of all of it. Because God and his angel are revealing God's plan to the wise men, to Joseph, through all of this. In what was thought to be the last year of Herod's life, God allows Herod to hear that there is another king of the Jews. And that's what Scripture is referencing. When Herod is anxious and furious, so is all of Jerusalem. Because when Herod is anxious, it doesn't go well for his people. And God allows the news of this new king this new king of the Jews, to come through the voice of foreigners. You notice in the text that he actually goes and asks his wise guys, "Uh, you knew about this? You didn't tell me? I had to hear this from foreigners coming from another land that there was going to be a king? Herod is frantic. He leaves nothing to chance, and he wants to ensure that his prophecy, this prophecy does not become a reality, but God. But God is bigger still. And I'm not sure what bully stands in front of you as you start off in New Year this year. But can I encourage you to see through this story that God is bigger still, even in your circumstances, our circumstances. He's bigger than the circumstances of the relationships that are broken in front of us. But I want us to get to be cautious to not get too carried away with hatred or consternation for the person that we think is the oppressive bully in our life because we're at a place in our culture where this is way 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 too easy where we have the freedom to create whatever narrative we want about a person that we feel or we believe to be responsible for the oppression that we face Because we can create, in our brokenness and in our sin, we can create some really imaginative stories about others. And if we take a careful look through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew confirms that the kingdom way is not the way of our culture. The way of our culture is cancel culture. That's not the way of God's kingdom. And I think it's too easy for us to just assume that cancel culture is somebody else's issue that they're dealing with. It impacts us as well. If I just take a look on Facebook, I see the seeds, the foundations of cancel culture all over the place, particularly as we start 2023. Make this new year the year that you leave behind the friends that pay no attention to you or the friends that don't make time for you. 2023 is a great year to leave behind those toxic friends 
I mean, all of us think, well, there's some truth to that, isn't there? Perhaps. But we live in a world today where it's way too easy, if you don't like something or someone, to just affix the label toxic, place it on that person, and boop, delete. I mean, we may not, like, do that publicly on social media, but we do that in our hearts and in our minds. The Gospel of Matthew confirms that the way, the kingdom way, is not the way of our culture. So can I encourage us to find ourselves in this story this morning? We have lots of options. First off, are we Herod? Statistics tell us in a crowd this size that there are most certainly bullies among us. We have our own kingdoms, our fiefdoms, the home, the school hallway, our sports team, dance club, the office, in the church. Is our life a dance of manipulation and lies? It's far too easy to place the weight of sin, the sin in this world, on one person, like Herod. Are we not also stained by sin? Are we not also culpable? Do we not also do some of the same things? Sure, not to the same degree, obviously, And maybe that makes us feel better, but does that provide much relief for those that we are in strained relationships with? Are we the Jews in Jesus' time? Advancing 30 years, the Jews in Jesus' own hometown reject him. The people of Nazareth reject him. And yet they're religious. Are we the religious ones? Faithfully attending church, but still looking for something else to ease the burden of life that surrounds us and not seeing the Messiah right in front of us. Because some of us feel like Jesus is way too familiar to affect any real change in my circumstances. And we're reading and rereading the same ancient texts, knowing it all up here, but not trusting that he is here in the midst of our own journeys. Are we Mary and Joseph? Danger lurks. Evil is right there. It encroaches. And God is providing a way out, a voice telling us to turn back. Providing us a way out, like God provided Mary and Joseph. Giving them gifts, using those gifts to step into freedom. Are we the wise men? Have we recommitted this year to journeying towards Jesus with a desire to worship him? And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I... I, kind of resonate with all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, journeying towards Jesus results in worship. I have another little note here that says stay put. I've been doing a fairly good job. (laughs) Mm. What gifts in 2023 can we bring this Christ child? The, The wise men bring gifts of gold, incense, and of myrrh. And there's a lot of discussion about the significance of those gifts. They're gifts, certainly, that are appropriate for a king. They're even symbolic of the kind of king that Jesus was. Gold to symbolize royalty, incense to symbolize his deity, and um, myrrh to symbolize his being anointed. But it's doubtful that these men 
from the east were aware of the the prophetic nature of these gifts when they were packing those gifts back east. They were simply gifts fit for a king. The reality is Mary, and okay, I have to just put a little context in here because I'm going to say something that's going to be like, what? So in our world, if, when you get gifts at Christmas and you ask immediately after opening it, did you get a receipt? Then, you know, the, this is, there's, this, there's a social awkwardness in regard to that. Even when you go to the store and ask if you can get it exchanged, particularly you should feel bad if all you want in exchange is cash. Right? That's just the way it is in, in, in our world. But <laughs> that's not necessarily what happened here. So as I say this next piece, I want you to just think about, okay, this is our world, but this was a little bit different then. The reality is that Mary and Joseph would probably have turned those gifts into liquid assets in order to make their way to Egypt and to settle in and hide out from the oppression of Herod. I, I don't think they had RESPs back then to move that cash into a college fund for Jesus. The gifts were expensive and were worth money and they could be traded. The gifts were also symbolic, that are symbolic to us, were practical for Mary and Joseph. So they were precious and practical. The sovereign God of the universe protects his vulnerable son from the reality of a king who would, not, he would kill as many babies as he needed to to ensure he stayed in power. Joseph and Mary needed practical assistance. I hated practical gifts as a kid. I didn't care if I needed a new sweater or needed new socks. I can tell you, I wanted to see a whole lot less practical gifts or more less practical gifts under the tree. But that seems to have changed as I've gotten older. So during the Christmas season, as uh, my children exchange Christmas wish lists, and I see my nieces and nephews exchange Christmas gift lists with uh, my own children, my wife and I kind of make a joke about it. We look at each other and says, what's, what's on your Christmas list? Uh, I don't know. I need new socks and underwear. And we kind of leave it at that. And surprise each other under the tree on Christmas. But I can tell you, practical is way less stressful. It's like way less stressful to buy in that context. But let's get real here for a moment. The wise men came and worshipped and gave gifts. So what does God want from us? Does he need gold, perfume, oil, socks, sweater, new underwear? Yes. Well, no. Um, I need you to follow me here for a minute. The, the Magi's gifts were not stuffed away in a memory box for Jesus to cart around. The gifts went to those who needed it. Mary and Joseph, Jesus needed to flee Herod. Jesus wants the practical gift. What is more practical than meeting the needs of those people around us? Food to feed the homeless, clothes to clothe the poor, oil to anoint the sick, time to visit those who are lonely. Financial support for ministries working with the poor and the marginalized. To sacrificially give to others who, like Mary and Joseph and Christ, needed the practical is what Jesus wants from us. It's confirmed in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus reminds us that when we serve the least of these, we are in fact serving him. So what gifts will we bring? Us wise people, who know this Jesus to be king. 
2023 is a new year. It's a new year for, off, for us to offer our lives in worship. One of my favorite passages in the book of Romans is Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. He says it this way. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Our worship does not mean waiting until we find the perfect gift for King Jesus. Our acceptance of his gift of salvation and our living out lives of thankfulness to him with the desire to serve others is the greatest gift that we can leave before our king as we start 2023. From beginning to end, Matthew, Matthew's perspective is huge. Matthew chapter 1, we see the world in Jesus' genealogy, people from every nation and part of his family tree. Matthew chapter 2, the world comes to Jesus' doorstep in Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus himself invites us to go into all the world to bless all the peoples of the world with the gospel. God the Father places the world in the hands of this child at Christmas, regardless of the surrounding messiness and the oppression. Our journey toward Christ results in a life of worship and wonder that we get to take with us into all the places and spaces that God has called us into in 2023. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy to the world. He is coming again. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your wonderful good news. I thank you, Lord, that the compass, the kingdom compass, points to you, to your birth, your life, your preaching of the kingdom, your death, and your glorious resurrection. Lord, we thank you that you have so changed the world. But Lord, we still live in difficult times. There's still a mess. Lord, we await your second, king, second coming. Well, you will, or you will erase sin, death, darkness forevermore. And Lord, for those you've called, confirmed as your children, Lord, we are called to live out the light of the gospel even in the darkness. We can't do that in our own strength, Lord. We've tried and we've failed. So Lord, give us a, a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit as we start this new year. Thank you, Lord, for the example of the wise men journeying towards you, worshiping you, Pray, Holy Spirit, that in some, some personal 
confirmed way today you would just reveal to us what worshiping you looks like in this next year ahead, what journeying towards you looks like in this next year ahead. Lord, you are faithful and you are good. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. And everybody together said, amen.
receive the Lord's blessing this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine towards you and be gracious to you. May his face turn towards you and give you his shalom. And all of God's people said, amen. I'd like to invite uh, our prayer team forward as well. And if you want prayer as you step into this new year, we'd love to ask you to come forward as the band continues to play. You are dismissed.